We're going to open up our reading in Luke 9 this morning, verse 18. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others, the one of the prophets of the old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I think they pair Math and I together because, like, let's get all the barefootness done in one day, which is fantastic. So I brought a pillow to church today because I figured maybe the message will get boring and I've got some backup and then I got here and realized that I was giving the message. So that's a little awkward, but if things get a little slow and you're in need, it's right here at the front, so feel free. Hopefully it won't come to that. I have just come back from being in South Africa for a month. Uh, we had to leave for kind of visa purposes and also I turned 40 when I was there, which is hard for everyone to believe. No. Don't clap. What's that? Like, <laughs> survival. Let's clap. He's still around. That's probably why it was squeaking when I came up here. I don't know. But while I was there, this cool thing happened. I think most of you have been introduced to my stuffed dolphin, Nobob, who doesn't bob, and that's why I call him that. But while I was in South Africa, the coolest thing happened because I've got a Nobob, and I've had him for 14 years. But in South Africa, Nobob got a Nobob. <laughs> How cool is that? Anyway, that's going to distract people, so I'll just drop him down there. I want to read another passage as we dive into today's message. It's from Matthew 21, from 28 to 32. And this is Jesus talking. It's called the parable of the two sons. One of those little teeny tiny parables slipped into the Bible that most of us probably don't know or don't read. And it's not one we look at often. It goes like this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father asked? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to do something that I really enjoy doing, just speaking about your word, speaking about your kingdom. And just as I preach this morning, I pray that you will filter people's minds to really just collect what is from you and just to reject anything that is just from me or anything that is man-made. Help us to really just hear what you are wanting to say to us this morning. And maybe, may we become or be those who are church more than just those who attend it. 
help us to really embrace this kingdom of God thing seven days a week and just become and be Jesus followers in every aspect of our lives. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. So if I was to give a title to today's preach, it would be titled The Gospel of Pillow Fighting or something like that. Two weeks ago, Valentine's Day, or maybe a week ago, I don't know, 14th of Feb, there was this giant pillow fight in San Francisco. Did any of you attend? Anyone? Yeah! I didn't see you there. There were like 3,000 people. And it went something like this. I'm going to show you a little clip, and I want you to take a look and try to identify the different groups that are involved in this. So let's check it out. Goes on for 10 minutes. I'm really tempted to watch the whole thing. I mean, the actual thing didn't go on for 10 minutes. We left after 50 minutes and it was still going strong. But yes, the San Francisco great Valentine's Day pillow fight. When I was looking for YouTube clips, there were clips as early as 2008, 2009, I think. So I think this has been going on for a long time. And it's something that you should all take part in. So much fun. And I don't know what you saw in that clip or what you're seeing. I think it's still there. Very clearly, if you were there, you were able to identify two main groups of people. The first group is those that are the pillow fighters, and they're easy to identify because they have pillows and they're fighting. And the second one, around the pillow fighters, when you got there, we got there like a little bit late, and I think they jumped the gun and started early anyway, but you had to kind of fight through this ring that was about four thick of observers. So people that are standing on the outskirts kind of watching this thing happen, and people are predicted between 1,000 and 2,000 pillow fighters, and probably as many observers standing around kind of watching the thing. You can see the camera phone. There were at least six kind of TV cameras. I know that because I was kind of working my way around them. And what is the main difference, kind of that's what I want to look at today, between these two groups of people, the pillow fighters and the observers? Because both groups, if you ask them what they did, like you meet up with them on a Saturday morning and you say, what did you do last night? Both of them will say, I went to the pillow fight. So it sounds like exactly the same thing, but it's quite different. So firstly, looking at the observers, even them, I've kind of divided into two groups. So you get those who simply watched. And there might have been a lot of people that saw it happening online and kind of went down to go check it out. There were a lot of people that were just in the city at the time it was happening. And it's like, whoa, what's going on there? And so people kind of just were drawn to this thing. A lot of people watching, so they're not actually doing the thing and there's a sense of being removed from the experience they're right there the action is right in front of them but they're not quite a part of it and so they kind of get the memory to take home but that's about it and then the second group of people as you can see the dude with the camera phone the tv crews people that were just grabbing stuff for youtube are those who are observing but had some kind of means of filming it so people taking photos people taking video this idea that they still detached in a sense but they take something home with them. So they can kind of relive the pillow fight many times. They can watch the clip over and over. They can put on Facebook for all their friends, that kind of thing. And so there's a sense that they're still observing, but that little bit extra where they take something home with them. And then the pillow fighters are the ones that do the thing. So the observers are there, they're observing, they're kind of there, but the pillow fighters are the ones that really get involved. And I've divided the pillow fighters into four different groups. Some people enjoy a pillow fight. I'm sitting there taking notes. Um, anyway, so the first group are what I call the tappers. And just to demonstrate, I was going to get someone up here, but I thought that's quite cool. People that literally would be there like tap tapping. 
the pokers. Maybe those are the ones on Facebook who do all the poking stuff. But it's like you're kind of part of the pillow fight, but kind of really not. It's like don't break a nail pillow fighting kind of thing. The tappers are mostly found on the fringes of the big circle. They're not the guys in the middle. A lot of them kind of just rush in, get a few taps in, go out, save your hair, do that kind of thing. Uh, the second group is the fighters who heard about it and they wanted a fun night out. It might have been people that were there and they were selling pillows for 10 bucks, so they grabbed a pillow. And those are the guys that get, it's like a two-handed thing. The tappers are very much one-handed. The pillow fighters are those that are getting in and kind of pillow fighting and in groups of their friends, also kind of on the fringes. Some of them kind of venture to the middle every now and then, and then they get smashed up and then kind of retreat to the fringes. But they're there. They like having a good time. They're just going at it. Then the third group, and this is kind of where I identify myself, kind of. I kind of flip between third and fourth. The hardcore adrenaline psychos is kind of what I put it down as. And it's kind of like you arrive there, you don't know what to expect. My wife somehow heard a story of somebody that went to the pillow fight in the previous year and put a brick in their pillow. And she tends towards paranoia a little bit more than me. So she was feeding us with these stories on the train there. So now you're like, we're there, we want to take part in this, don't want to get killed by a brick. So you get there and you kind of maybe tap a little bit on the edge, but then you're like, okay, this is really cool, and you start pillow fighting, and then you go, actually, like, we're not doing it right. And so you do this thing, which I call the windmill, which is like, you just get like a bit of an action going, you don't want to kill the drums. And then later on, when somebody else like gave up and they left their pillow on the floor, I was doing a double windmill action. And then you throw in like a spin, and you get this whole space around you, and it's, oh, it's beautiful. Like, I had a pillow fight. I mean, I went back, and my pillow was damaged. There were people there whose pillows were just left in feathers on the ground. Um, if you watch the clip longer, you just see like clouds of feathers every now and then. It's like those people are the people that pillow fought. <laughs> Woo! And then also you've got to kind of time it because you can only like be a hardcore adrenaline psycho for about a minute and then you have to like go to the edges and just wind back up and then head in again. And rah! It's kind of like Braveheart pillow fighters. <laughs> But then, this other group, like I said, I kind of identified with them accidentally, but there was a group of people, and it was quite a small group in the bigger picture of the pillow fight, of the people that kind of were costumed. So there was a guy in a full-on unicorn suit. Full-on unicorn suit. There was a Pokemon. There was a Power Ranger who had this red Power Ranger suit that went over his face. So you couldn't even see it. It looked like he had like a stocking over his face. But like full on, like he went out and hired something. He put money into this fight. Or he has a Power Ranger suit at home, which is a little bit more disturbing. There was a gladiator who had a shield and a pillow fight. There were these two polar bear girls, like full on suits with like their faces sticking out there. And... The costume person is like, they heard about the pillow fight and they're like, we're all in. Like, we're going to hire a suit. We're going to dust off the old Power Ranger suit from the basement. Because <laughs> that thing's probably not coming around again. We are all in. We are going to go and pillow fight. And the lesson that I learned from the costumed people pretty quickly, or kind of like rule one of pillow fighting is this. Conform. If you want to survive, you conform. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to be the unicorn because this is how it works. Pillow fighting happening. Thousand people all looking the same. Pillow fighting is going. The tappers are on the outside. The pillow fighters are there just having fun. The psychos are making little circles for themselves. Everything's going. And then suddenly a guy dressed as a unicorn makes his way through the crowd. All it takes is for one person to shout, unicorn. And 30 people descend upon the unicorn. Wow. 
And so if you stood out in the pillow fight, there's something different. There's something about you. Tall guy, 20,000 people taking on the tall guy. Person on other person's shoulders. Everyone, God, target, that's the good thing. And then suddenly at one point in the fight, I just heard somebody scream the word dreads. That was the last thing I remember for about 20 minutes. Because they formed a circle around me and 20, 30 people were trying to kill me a lot. So even though I didn't really decide to go costumed, I was kind of welcomed into their throng, if that's the right word. One less letter and it becomes a totally different fight. But that was the costume people, like they were all in. This is the thing we're doing and we're going to have the most fun. We're going to have the best stories and the most bruises or I don't think you can get bruised by a pillow, but some of those were like kind of couch pillows, like the heavy kind. We went with our housemates, this guy called Aaron, who's like about seven meters tall. And at one point, this little kid got into hardcore adrenaline psycho mode, and he was holding Aaron on the leg and just smashing him. And Aaron's like seven meters tall and doesn't want to kill the kid, so he didn't really know what to do. And the cops actually had to come and pull this little kid off him. That's how (laughs) hectic it got. Anyway. And then very occasionally, there would be a pillow that was free, somebody gave up or whatever and went home, and you'd get an observer that would grab a pillow and join in. But as I said, more often than not, those that were already in the fight just took it as opportunity for extra weapons and um, just got a little more excited. So very fun, very silly, very crazy. But the whole idea of this pillow fight reminded me of life sometimes, and particularly the church, specific kind of for today's message, that... With Christians, you get three groups of people. And it can be Christians, it might even be non-Christians, who kind of watch, who show a little bit of interest, who visit, who check this thing out from the sidelines. Don't get too involved, but just, like, this thing is interesting, or there's something about this thing that attracts me, and so I'll go to the meetings, I'll read some of the stuff, I want to get an idea of what this is about. You get another group of some people who make a commitment, and so they will come on Sundays regularly, maybe they'll choose to tithe to the church, they'll show some form of commitment, so they'll get involved in the cafe or in the homeless ministry, or maybe they'll help lead a life group or get involved in a life group, and so they've made some form of commitment, and they're starting to get a little bit more involved, so those are kind of your pillow fight type people that came, and they're going to have a good pillow fight, and they're going to do what the thing is about, and then you get this group of people that are all in. They've been captured by this thing. They've been enthralled. They're like, this is worth a life commitment. I'm going to hire myself a unicorn suit. And I'm not telling you to come to church wearing a unicorn suit. But it's this idea of this whole total commitment. This thing transforms them. There's something noticeably different about them. And actually, at the end of the day, those might be the ones that look a bit more beaten up and bruised at the end of the day because they get fully involved and are doing so much stuff. And so we go and look at this passage in Luke, and it starts off with this confession of Christ that Peter makes. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And this is such an important thing because the identity of Jesus transforms his message completely. If Jesus is just a guru or a wise man or a good teacher or something like that, then it makes sense that you stand at a distance and watch. It makes sense maybe that you dip your feet in a little. There's something good here. He's a really great guy. He says some good stuff. Let me learn a little bit. So standing at a distance, grabbing the stuff that's good, leaving the other stuff that you're not interested or whatever, that makes a lot of sense if Jesus is just a guru or a teacher or a good man. But if Jesus is the Messiah and Peter answers, you are the Christ of God, 
If Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is who he claims and sets himself up to be, and if you are going to call him Lord, then everything has to change. Standing on the side, being a tapper is not good enough if Jesus is declared in your life as being Lord. If you've said, this is the guy that I'm going to follow, then it has to look different. The invitation Jesus makes, he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And so the invitation or the call to deny yourself and to take up your cross every day and to follow Jesus is not an observer invitation. And if we look at it honestly, it's not even a participant invitation. The invitation that Jesus gives is a call to be all in to be completely committed, to give your life, to deny yourself means that this thing is no longer about me. It means I've chosen to follow Jesus based on who he is, not because he's good, but because he's God and because he's somebody that I can put my whole life behind. And so in the big metaphorical pillow fight that is Christianity, you and I are called to be unicorns. We are called to wear the suit. We are called to risk standing in the middle of the crowd looking different from the crowd and being pummeled by the crowd because we look different, because we're not conforming, because we are being set apart from how everybody else is living, both outside and sometimes even inside the church. And then back to that parable that I read at the beginning, the parable of the two sons. One has the look. One has the right answers. I'll go. The father says, will you go work in the vineyard? And he says, yes, I'll go. I'm there. 100% committed. Puts up his hand, comes to the front, says a prayer. I'm in. But then doesn't follow through. No action at all. And then the second son, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. But then later, there's a change of heart. There's a change of mind. He realizes that that's the thing he's supposed to do. He realizes his commitment to his dad or family responsibility or whatever it is. And for some reason, he ends up and goes off and does the thing. And so one that has the look and has the presentation where you look at them and you'll go, that person is doing it. And then the other person who looks like the person you'll discard. And Jesus uses the example of the crowd that he's speaking to, of the religious leaders, and then the prostitutes and the tax collectors. The ones that don't have the look, the ones that are meant to be excluded, the ones that are meant to be on the side, the ones that we've been judging for so long and keeping out, those are the ones that get it. Those are the ones that responded and said, I'm going to be all in. And so it's not so much about what you say, it's not so much about what you look, but it's how does your life follow through the commitment you've made? How does your life follow through? Are you all in? And so the question is, which one are you and I going to be? And which one are you now? And then another key aspect is this, that if we go back to our example, if you're a tapper, run in and you do tap. If you're surrounded by other tappers, then you probably feel quite good about what you're doing. You probably feel like I'm pillow fighting because everyone around me, that's what they're doing. And so you fit in. And so if you're a tapper and you're surrounded by tappers, you probably feel good about yourself. But the truth is this. You're not a pillow fighter, you're a tapper, and you're certainly not a unicorn. 
And so this question, who do you compare yourself to? And it sounds like a very risky question, but just listen to what I'm saying with it. That if you happen to be a lukewarm, somewhat committed Christian, and you surround yourself by a bunch of lukewarm, somewhat committed Christians, then as you look at the people around you, you'll think that you're doing it okay, because I look like everyone else. I've got the same commitment level. I've got the same involvement as everyone else. And so if I'm surrounded by people that look like me, if I'm comparing myself by people that kind of look like me or sound like me or whatever, then I'm going to feel okay with myself. But what I want to say to all of us, and I think this is so important, is that we need to compare ourselves to the Word of God. We need to constantly be going back to the Bible and saying, this thing that I'm doing, this commitment that I've made, this thing that I'm living, does it measure out to what Jesus said the thing looks like? Because we might have come up with something that looks a bit like tapping. We might have come up with something that looks a bit like pillow fighting. But if Jesus has created something that he created is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If we are not doing that, then we are not what God has called us to be. And so it's important that we are in the Word, that we are reading it, that we are understanding it, that we are learning, both from people that are up front or podcasts or books or whatever, but also from being in the Word and making sure that we are getting the right message. One of the most beautiful messages, and this always is like a little PS in a lot of other messages, the story that happens in Acts 17, and it's really short, so don't flip there, but Acts 17, verse 10 to 12, and this is on Paul's journeys, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so you've got these Bereans that we don't really hear a lot about. Like we've got these two little verses that are snuck into Acts 17. And it says, firstly, they received the message with great eagerness. Paul came and preached and they just ate it up. This message is powerful. It's amazing. It sounds great. It's a beautiful thing. But then they went home and they did their homework. Let us make sure that what we've heard is what God is saying. And so they compared the message to the word of God and made sure that it matched up. And it's essential that we are in the Word, because else we may never know that what we're hearing doesn't match up. And so if the only Bible that you're getting in your week is what Albert or myself or whoever's up here on a Sunday, if that is the only Bible that you're getting in your week, then you kind of have to take it as truth, because the pastor said it, the podcaster said it, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, whoever you listen to, like they said it, so it must be true. And the danger with that is that the person at the front can get it wrong. The person at the front can mess it up. The person at the front can slip some of themselves in and be well-intentioned, or they can be not well-intentioned and just totally confuse and baffle you. And so we need to be like the Bereans and taking what we hear and filtering it and putting it into the Word of God. And what makes that easier is if we spend time reading the Word of God understanding like in essence what is Jesus saying what is the Bible saying and if we're trying to read this thing by ourselves sometimes it gets confusing sometimes it's difficult so it's really helpful when somebody who studied it a lot gets up and shares a message and so the idea is that we do this thing in community that we're listening from the front we're also having conversations with our friends we're wrestling with scripture and trying to make sure that the decision we've made to deny ourselves 
take up our cross daily and follow Jesus is actually being lived out. Because that decision is a huge one. It's not one that we should take lightly. It's giving up yourself, giving up your life, giving everything to God. If you are going to be so hectic about making a decision so big, then it makes sense that we put some time and energy and effort into making sure that we've made a good decision and living that out. And then the last point that I want to make, and this is also really important, is that a good analogy is only as good as the point it's trying to make. So you can always like take rip holes in analogies. Um, being a Christian isn't like hitting people over the head with a pillow and find ways for that not to make. But the point of the pillow fight story for me is that you can be an observer or you can be a participant or you can be all in. And this is important. I'm not saying that to be a good Christian, you have to try harder or do more stuff. Because that's the message you can hear with this analogy. Like if I'm hitting harder, if I've got more pillows, if I'm trying more and doing more stuff, if I'm attending more meetings, if I'm more involved in the church, if I sign up to like every space where they have a need, then I'm going to be more committed to God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's a decision to be all in. What I'm saying is there's an invitation to the Holy Spirit to come in and to guide and guard my whole life into being a life that follows Jesus. For some of you today, that might mean doing less stuff in the church. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us more and more, so we will naturally start to look and sound and be and do more like Jesus did. And if you know Jesus and you've read his life, there's so many stories of him leaving the busyness and going to spend time with God, leaving the busyness and really prioritizing his prayer life, leaving the crowds and just spending time with a small group of people, even leaving the small group and just spending time with two or three people. And so the message today is not go and do more. The message today is not go and try harder. The message today is be aware of the call that Jesus makes on us. He wants our whole life, not as a list of things to do, but as a heart that is submitted to him, as a heart that in our speech and in our minds and in our daily workings demonstrates the love of God and reaching out to people who are in need and living out the kingdom and seeing the kingdom happen around us. I invite you to close your eyes and we're just going to close off in prayer and then we're going to have a time of worship again. And just think about these things. Does God own your heart? H-E-A-R-T. Does God own your time? Does he own your wallet? Does he own your hurt, your pain, your brokenness? Does he own your plans for the future and for now? Does he own your vocation, your job? Does he own your free time? And again, I'm not saying spend all your free time reading the Bible and praying. What I am saying is if you spend your free time playing games with a bunch of friends, that there's a Jesus-following way to do that. That if you spend your free time having a meal with friends, there's a Jesus-following way for your conversation to flow. There's a way of upbuilding people more than breaking them down. That if you've given your job to Jesus, there's a way of having good character and maybe standing firm on some decisions that you choose not to do those because they're not God-honoring. There's a way of loving your colleagues in a way that just really reaches out to them and just gives them a sense of the fragrance of Jesus, of the tastiness of salt 
of the illumination of light. I'm not saying do a bunch more stuff. What I'm saying is that as we commit ourselves to Jesus, the stuff we do already starts to look and taste and feel and be more like him. I just want to invite you, if any of those areas stood out for you, I just want to pray for people that if you felt you heard something like, does God own your wallet? And you're like, whoa, I've never invited God into my finances. Any of those areas, if there was a prodding of the Holy Spirit while I was speaking those things out, then I just want to invite you to stand as a commitment to hand that area over to God, as a commitment to say, God, I want you to take care of my free time. God, I want you to be in my conversations. God, I want you to be in the way that I treat my family. Any of those things. If there's an area where you feel God is saying, I want you to be all in, then I just invite you to stand where you are, and I just want to close off by praying for you. So if you want to stand, you can do that. And so, Father, we thank you that you have invited us to be an active and vital part of your kingdom. We thank you that you have given us freedom to decide how much we want to get involved. But yet you've called us to really just go all in. And I just pray for everyone that is standing now that has some indication of an area that you've called them to surrender to you. I really pray against guilt and condemnation. Anything in the past of, oh, I should have been doing this better, or I haven't been doing that. And I just pray a blessing into the future, Father. I pray for the commitments that are being demonstrated by people standing. And I pray that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit in a way that brings life, in a way that takes an area and just completely redeems it and completely turns it on its head. So I just pray that this will be such a good thing. And so for everyone standing, Father, fill them with your Spirit. Let them know your strength. Let them know your power and love to be able to really commit these things to you and just walk with them. So I pray for them in the name of Jesus. Amen.